In these podcasts, we uncover one chapter after another from the life of the Prophet ﷺ in an attempt to learn about him, love him, and better ourselves through his example. Immersion, mentorship, companionship, and tarbiyah. These are just a few of the things we offer alongside knowledge of the prophetic biography at Sira Intensive. Two weeks dedicated to the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ and his noble characteristics. So this winter, join me in Dallas, Texas, alongside your classmates from all over the world to learn the story of the life of the best of humanity, the mercy to mankind, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Go to sirahintensive.com to register and for more information. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as-siratu nabawiyah, the prophetic biography. In the previous session, we were talking about the battle of Khaybar. And as we discussed previously, the battle of Khaybar was in the beginning of the seventh year of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's residence in the city of Medina known as the seventh year of Hijrah. So we had talked about that at the end of the sixth year, we had the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. After the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ was able to settle that ongoing issue with the people of Mecca, with the Quraysh, the Prophet ﷺ now turned his attention to another source of a lot of uh, difficulty and even anxiety for the Muslims, and that was the stronghold at Khaybar and the gathering of a lot of the enemies of the Muslims at Khaybar. So the Prophet ﷺ proceeded towards Khaybar, we talked about it, where they, the enemy retreated into a fortress, the Muslims laid siege to the fortress, and as we talked about previously, that the Muslims were eventually able to break through. We talked about it miraculously, through the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, that Ali bin Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu was able to lead the charge, break through the fortress and be able to conquer the fortress and lead the Muslims to victory. So what I wanted to talk about this uh, in this session was the continuation and also talk about kind of the conclusion of the Battle of Khaybar. So there's a very, there's a couple of very beautiful stories. We know, you know, whenever we end up talking about a lot of these different major events from the life of the Prophet ﷺ, particularly in the Medinan era, there's a lot of battles that we talk about, a lot of military expeditions and campaigns. Obviously, because the Muslims were establishing themselves in the city of Medina, and for a lot of the powers at that time, the forces that be, the powers that be, they found the Muslims to be a tremendous threat. Um, and for that very reason, there were many attacks against the Muslims and there was a lot of plotting and conspiring and planning against the Muslims and against the city of Medina. So it ended up necessitating a military response to a lot of these people who intended to harm Medina and the Muslims. But one of the things that's very insightful, that's very beautiful, that when we get past the... Uh, idea of just having a quick summarized 10 to 15 minutes on each major epic event of the life of the Prophet ﷺ because you know we're, we're covering the entirety of the life of the Prophet ﷺ in 200 pages or we're covering the entirety of the life of the Prophet ﷺ in a number of hours right once we get past that particular point where we're able to delve 
deeply into exactly what happened and why it happened, you're able to uncover a lot of very beautiful interactions, a lot of gems um, in the Prophet ﷺ's interaction with the people. So I always like to share these because it shows a softer side of the Prophet ﷺ. It shows the care and consideration that Muhammad ﷺ had for the people, for his own followers and even the other people. And how um, these were human beings at the end of the day. So in a narration of Bukhari, it's mentioned that... Um, Yazid uh, ibn Abi Ubaid, he says, That he says that I saw a, um, a scar on the leg of Salma, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Salma ibn al-Akwa. فَقُلْتُ يَا أَبَا مُسْلِمْ His kunniya was Abu Muslim. So he said, يَا أَبَا مُسْلِمْ مَا هَذِهِ الدَّرْبَةِ What happened to your leg? And he says that هَذِهِ دَرْبَةٌ أَصَابَتْهَا يَوْمَ خَيْبَرٌ That this is from a wound that I had sustained on the day of Khaybar. فَقَالَ النَّاسُ أُصِيبَ سَلْمَةٌ That people, and it was such a bad severe wound that I was like crippled, I couldn't walk. So I was on the ground holding my leg, unable to walk, and the people, you know, started to create some commotion. Oh my God, Salama has been injured, Salama has been wounded. So, فَأَتَيْتُ النَّبِيَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ So somebody brought me to the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ فَنَفَثَ فِيهِ ثَلَاثَ نَفَثَاتٍ He said the Prophet صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمُ He blew into the wound. Like he blew onto the wound. Right? Three times. And نَفَثَ is also used to describe that with the Prophet ﷺ before he would go to bed, before he would rest at night. The Prophet ﷺ, what he would do is he would recite Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas and then, uh, and then he would do نَفَثَ Like he would kind of blow into his hands and then he would wipe his hands over his body in authentic narration. So in this narration of Bukhari it says, similarly the Prophet ﷺ blew into my wound three times. And he says, فَمَشْتَكَيْتُ حَتَّى سَاعَةً my wound, not only did it heal, but my leg has never hurt ever again till today. And Salma ibn al-Lakwa was known as a warrior, he was a fighter. He fought in you know, many, many different expeditions and campaigns and battles, but he said, my, ne- my leg never bothered me ever again. So this was the miracle of the Prophet Another very interesting narration is that um, this is also mentioned in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari. Sa'idun al-Musayyab, he narrates that Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says, Shahidna Khaybar. Remember I had mentioned that um, Tufail bin Amr had arrived at the time of Khaybar. So Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu says that we witnessed the battle of Khaybar. فَقَالَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ لِرَجُلٍ مِمَّنْ مَعَهُ الْإِسْلَامِ هَذَا مِنْ أَهْلِ النَّارِ that the Prophet ﷺ said to one of the people who claimed to be Muslim that this person is from the people of hell. فَلَمَّا حَضَرَ الْقِتَالِ قَاتَلَ الرَّجُلُ أَشَدَّ الْقِتَالِ حَتَّى كَثُرَتْ بِهِ الْجَرَاحَةِ That when the battle finally started, this man he started to fight very ferociously, like he fought very bravely until the point that he was injured. Uh, quite a bit, he sustained a lot of different wounds. And some of the people, they started to not doubt, but some of the people became a little confused. 
Because this man who was with the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ said that this person is not sincere in fighting in the battle. Now, I want to take a little bit of a sidebar because when a lot of times we hear that, we get kind of taken aback. How can you doubt someone's sincerity? You and I cannot doubt someone's sincerity. I cannot doubt anyone's sincerity. I have to worry about my own. But the Prophet ﷺ has a different position. Because the Prophet ﷺ receives communication directly from Allah. So it's very different. Alright? So the Prophet ﷺ said, this man is not fighting sincerely. And when the battle started, and he was fighting so bravely, so ferociously, and he was getting wounded and injured, and he kept fighting and fighting, that some people got kind of confused that, was the Prophet ﷺ talking about him? Was it him? فَوَجَدَ الرَّجُلُ أَلَمَ الْجِرَاحَ But eventually the man kind of started to succumb to his wounds. And he fell down into the battlefield, really weighed down by his wounds. فَأَهْوَى بِيَدِهِ إِلَىٰ كَنَانَتِهِ And while he was laying there in the battlefield, kind of feeling his wounds, he reaches back into his quiver. And he, فَاسْتَخْرَجَ مِنْهَا أَسْهُمًا And he pulled out an arrow, فَنَحَرَ بِهَا نَفْسَهُ and he killed himself with his own arrow. He killed himself with his own arrow. Took his own life. Some people who were nearby, they saw this. And they ran to check on him and they found that he was dead. He had slit his own throat, he had killed himself. Oh Messenger of God, what you said was true. انتحر فلان فقتل نفسه This man killed himself. فقال قم يا فلان فأذن أنه لا يدخل الجنة إلا مؤمن The Prophet said, Stand up and make an announcement to the people that only believers go to paradise. وأن الله يؤيد الدين بالرجل الفاجر This is the reason why I brought this why I decided to mention this narration even though it tells a very difficult story. Right? And, and I'm before I talk about the moral of the story and the lesson that the Prophet ﷺ so powerfully and eloquently states here at the very end of this narration, I want to explain on the side a little bit, you know, some of the nuance of the discourse on, you know, the issue of suicide that the, our scholars talk about. Now, there is no doubt about the fact that our religion, much like the many of the other religions before it, the other Deen Samawi, the other like you know religions that are based on scripture, it condemns suicide as something that is a major sin, something that is very very problematic, something that has been forbidden, something that we are not allowed to entertain. Okay, having said that. One nuance that has to be taken into consideration and one wrinkle that has to be understood and that is the dynamic of mental illness. We have to understand mental illness, right? Where the Prophet ﷺ also teaches us about Rufi al-Qalam an thalath That there are three types of people who are not held accountable before God. They are not held accountable before God. Their existence in this world is not for their test, it is for our test. Their presence amongst us is not to test them. You know, like Allah says about us, الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا Allah created us and gave us life to test us, to see whether we would do right or wrong. Okay? But there are some types of people, there are some individuals that Allah has created in this world, in the ummah, in, our, in the community, in society, in families, 
There are some individuals that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created, they are not tested by Allah. But they are people who are completely absolved by Allah, and they will not be held accountable by Allah. But they are a test for everyone else around them. And one of those types of individuals is somebody who is tested with the, or, or excuse me, somebody who is dealing with, or somebody who is afflicted with mental illness. Right, that they are not accountable before Allah because Allah did not give them sanity, soundness of mind and heart. Allah did not grant that to them. So they're absolved by Allah, but they are a test and a trial for everyone else around them. How do we treat them? How empathetic and how kind and how forgiving and how gentle are we with them? That's what the test really is. So when someone who is riddled with mental illness, which it is not my, my, my position to judge who is mentally ill and who's not, ultimately only Allah knows. And aside from that, maybe an expert of that particular field, somebody who specializes in that can inform someone, can analyze or diagnose someone, right? But what we do have to understand, the reason why I'm mentioning this here is that there is a nuance to the issue of suicide. And that is that if somebody is mentally ill, mentally even deranged, then that is a completely different scenario and case. And we leave their matter to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we try to confirm the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for as many people as we can. This particular case mentioned in this narration is not an incident, is not a situation of mental illness. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ condemned it. And the Prophet has a direct line of communication with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's pointing this out. Now, what exactly did the man end up doing? So some of the narrations, uh, or some of the scholars analyzed this narration, and they said it was, it was a couple of things. Well, one of the dynamics that was very prominent was that he had become very severely, he, he had become wounded or injured enough to the point where he was, in, he was not able to fight effectively anymore. He was not able to fight. But one of the things that people used to do, and this might not make a lot of sense to us, because we're from a different culture. In that particular culture, if you died in the battlefield fighting as a warrior, as a soldier, it was a great source of honor. Your name would live on. And it was a great source of honor for your family. So he had gotten wounded to the point where he was not able to fight effectively, but he realized that he was not going to succumb to these wounds. These wounds were not serious enough to the point where he would lose his life in the battlefield. But they could probably, you know, um, they could probably take him from there and nurse him back to health. And so he ended up taking that particular arrow and killing himself to be able to etch amongst the martyrs. And he did not realize that there were people nearby who would see him do this. But that's why when they saw, they ran over and they realized that he was already done. So the Prophet ﷺ was actually exposing the fact that this man was insincere in what he was doing. He was trying to make a martyr out of himself. He was trying to become some type of a legend where his name would live on. And again, we might not understand. That's so stupid though. You, you die and your name lives on? Like who cares? You're dead. Right? But we all read books of history and we all read the names of famous warriors of the past and we commemorate them and we mention them and we talk about them. So we know that that's a dynamic that exists. And the other thing is that in that culture, that was a very prominent thing. That was a very big deal. And young boys would be raised from the very beginning, admiring and desiring and wanting to be some type of a legend one day who had died in the battlefield for the glory of his people, and so on and so forth. 
right? So that's one little nuance that I wanted to mention about this. The last thing is that that statement of the Prophet ﷺ, which I feel is something we can really, really benefit from. All of us can benefit from. The Prophet ﷺ said, That sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala aids the religion. Sometimes Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala utilizes for a good cause a very bad, sinful, terrible person. And what's profound about this is that action is very important in our religion. Amal. What do you do? Right? Like, what, what have you done? What is your record? What do you have to show for yourself in terms of work? But there is an opposite extreme that we have to be careful about. So a lot of times we'll talk so much about, you know, good vibes and good feelings and being a good person, but not ever doing anything good. Oh, I'm a very good person. I don't pray, but I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I care about people. I don't give any charity or volunteer or help anyone, but I'm a good person. I care about people. I have a good heart. Right? We're used to that dynamic. And that's why our... Our, the Qur'an says, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ You gotta do good. Can't just talk about being good or think that you're good. You gotta do good. You gotta put your money where your mouth is. You gotta back it up with some type of action. But there is an opposite extreme. And the opposite extreme is that you preoccupy and busy yourself so much in what seems to be apparently good deeds or good works, but you don't actually focus on the goodness of your own soul. You don't ever actually concern yourself with fixing your heart, your internal condition. So you're in the masjid volunteering all the time, but you really sincerely from your heart hate people. Right? You volunteer in the community, you work with the community, but all you do is talk about how much the community sucks and you have disdain for all the people that you serve. You're constantly praying and reading Qur'an and doing dhikr. Like I'm not talking about faraid, I'm talking about extra stuff. Faraid everyone has to do. I'm talking about extra stuff. You pray nawafil for hours, you read Qur'an for hours, you do dhikr for hours. But you talk bad about people, and you think bad about people, and you have bad relationships. And you, you don't hope for good from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have a lot of negativity inside you. You're not actually cleaning and working on your heart. That that's the opposite problem. Where we replace goodness with just busyness. It's busy work. I'm just keeping myself busy. Right? Think of the person who basically is just... You know, chopping down trees or building something in his backyard. But what's he going to? He's just chopping down trees, but he never makes any, he never sells the wood. He just keeps chopping down trees, chopping up logs and stacking them on top of each other. And then at the end of the month, he can't pay his bills. So what have you been doing? I've been working. Well, yeah, I understand you've been working, but you have to sell this at some point. You have to convert this into money. Your work has to convert into cash. Otherwise you won't be able to pay your bills. And he says, I don't know, I'm busy, I'm working. You're talking about making money, I'm talking about working. Yes brother, but you're not going to be able to pay your bills. It's that disconnect. The same idea that we have. That success in the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and success in this life and in the eternal life of the year after, is a combination of a pure, pure heart. إِلَّا مَنَتَ اللَّهَ بِقَلْبٍ سَلِيمٍ 
You have to actually come with a good, sound, clean heart before Allah. And one of the ways that you get to a good, clown, a good clean, sound heart is by doing good work. But it's a combined effort of actually trying to fix yourself, understand who you are and what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing, and then do good work. It's a combined effort. But what the Prophet ﷺ is talking about here, in Allaha yu'ayyidu dina birajul al-fajr, sometimes you're involved in really, really good work, but you yourself are still a sinful, filthy, dirty person in terms of internally, your heart. Your heart is a dark, nasty place. It's a sinful place. That no matter how much work, busy work you're doing with your hands, it's not going to result in anything. And it's actually a warning for all of us. We should be very careful that we don't become one of those people who's just, you know, when Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he saw a monk. He saw a monk who obviously believed, did not have the correct beliefs. And he saw this monk who is worshipping all the time. And you know, he's deprived, celibate life. He has no family. And he doesn't even eat a lot because he's doing mujahada, right? Just like depriving himself of any type of food and luxury or comfort or anything. He's wearing torn, tattered clothes and he's worshipping. And Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu sees him. And he's bent over, hunched over. He can't even stand up straight. And his clothes are ripped and his face is sunk in, he looks dehydrated and emaciated, malnourished. And he sees him and Umar radiallahu ta'ala starts to cry. And he says, the ayah, These people work harder than anyone, but their work is worth nothing. That's the thing we also have to be careful about. That the heart is correct. And that we're doing good work. It's a combina- combination of both things. The other thing is that uh, another very interesting, beautiful narration is that on the day of Khaybar, this African slave, Abdun Habashigun, this African slave who was from the, who, who resided in Khaybar, he was a slave of one of the people of Khaybar. He comes, he sees the Muslim army approaching, he sees the Prophet ﷺ coming with the forces, and so when he sees them, he comes to the Prophet ﷺ and he asks, he asks the Muslims, And then he sees that the people of Khaybar are coming. So he asks the people of Khaybar, where are you going? And he said, we're going to go fight this man who says that he's a Prophet. So that slave, when he hears that, Oh, that the people of Khaybar are about to fight this, these people because there's a man who says that he's a prophet. Then he remembers some things that he had heard about the Prophet ﷺ, that he had found to be very fascinating. So he goes until he finds the Prophet ﷺ. He goes into the Muslim camp. And he finds the Prophet ﷺ and he goes to the Prophet ﷺ and he says, What do you have to offer? Like what do you call people to? I'm here, I'm, I'm all ears, I'm willing to listen. What do you have to offer? What do you propose? He says, "Aduuka ila al-Islam." I call you to Islam. Antashada Allah ilaha illallah wa anni Rasulullah. That you bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship except for Allah. There is no god but Allah, and that I am the messenger of Allah. The Prophet says, "Wa Allah ta'abuda illa Allah," and that you worship no one other than Allah. فَقَالَ الْعَبْدُ فَمَاذَا يَكُونُ لِي أَنْ شَهِدْتُ ذَلِكَ وَأَمَنْتُ بِاللَّهِ he says, okay, I get what your message is. Now tell me that if I listen and I embrace and I accept, what do I get out of it? What's in it for me? 
So the Prophet said, Al-Jannatu in mutta ala dhalik. If you accept this, and you die while this is in your heart, then you go to paradise. فَأَسْلَمَ abd. So that African slave, he becomes Muslim. فَقَالِ يَا نَبِيَ اللَّهِ إِنَّ هَذِي الْغَنَمَ عِنْدِي أَمَانَةً He says, O oh, Messenger of Allah, these sheep and some goats that I have, these are a trust. Like I was sent out by my owner, my master, to go and graze these animals. فَقَالَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ أَخْرِجْهَا مِنَ عَسْكَرِنَا وَرْمِيَا بِالْحَسْبَائِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ سَيُدِّي عَنْكَ أَمَانَتَكَ the Prophet says, you need to get them out of our camp. I don't want anyone being able to accuse me, the Muslims and the Prophet ﷺ, that we stole someone's property. So remove it from our camp. And he says, tie it outside of the fortress of Khaybar, it'll get back to where it's supposed to get to. And it exactly happened that way. He tied them up outside the fortress and then they made their way back to the owner. فَعَرِفَ الْيَهُودِ أَنَّ غُلَامَهُ قَدْ أَسْلَمْ And the, the master of the slave, he realized that my slave who left the animals outside the gates, he must have become Muslim. فَقَامَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فَوَعَضَ النَّاسَ فَذَكْرَ الْحَدِيثَ فِي عِطَائِهِ الرَّايَةَ عَلِيًّا وَدُنُوِّهِ مِنْ حِسْنِ الْيَهُودِ وَقَتْلِهِ مَرْحَبًا وَقُتِلَ مَعَا عَلِيٍّ ذَلِكَ الْعَبْدُ الْأَسْوَد and the story goes on. We talked about it in the previous session that then the Prophet ﷺ says, I will give the banner, the standard, the flag to a man that God will grant victory at his hands. And that was Ali anhu. And the Muslims go to the fortress and Ali defeats that big warrior, Marhab. And then the Muslims achieve the victory. Well, that African slave who had just become Muslim, he fought with the Muslims. He was actually in the battalion of Ali anhu. He joined the, the advance group of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So he was also killed in the battlefield. فَاحْتَمَلَهُ الْمُسْلِمُونَ إِلَىٰ عَسْكَرِهِمْ And after he died, when they were collecting the shuhada, the Muslims who had died in the battle, and they were bringing them to bury them, they found this African slave and people, the Muslims had witnessed him becoming Muslim at the hands of the Prophet So they picked him up and they brought him back to the Muslim camp. فَأُدْخِلَ فِي الْفُسْطَاتِ فَزَعَمُوا أَنَّ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إِطْلَعَ فِي الْفُسْطَاتِ ثُمَّ إِطْلَعَ عَلَىٰ أَصْحَابِهِ Then the pro- they brought him into the tent of the Prophet ﷺ and the Prophet ﷺ saw him. And then the Prophet ﷺ, after he looked at him, he looked at the companions and he said, لَقَدَ أَكْرَمَ اللَّهُ هَذَا الْعَبْدِ God has honored this man. وَسَاقَهُ إِلَىٰ خَيْرٍ And Allah brought him, he was a slave. Serving some, some, some individual. But Allah brought him to that which is good. قَدْ كَانَ الْإِسْلَامِ مِنْ نَفْسِهِ Islam has a right. Meaning Islam entitles you to certain rights. وَقَدْ رَأَيْتُ عِنْدَ رَأْسِهِ إِثْنَتَيْنِ مِنَ الْحُورِ And then the Prophet ﷺ basically, what he said was that when you accept Islam, even, and uh, some of the narrations, they mention, قُتِلَ شَهِيدًا وَمَا سَجْدَ لِلَّهِ سَجْدَةً This man became Muslim, went to the battle, died in the battle, and he had never performed a single sajda in his life. And he died as a shaheed, and the Prophet ﷺ said, by virtue of simply becoming Muslim, that entitles you to certain rights, and one of those rights is that he is a man of paradise. And the Prophet ﷺ said, I see already by his head, companions 
beautiful companions of paradise that are welcoming him to the life of the hereafter. So this goes to show the sincerity. The sincerity of Islam, the sincerity of Iman, making the, exactly, he's the opposite example of what we just talked about. Somebody who fights and fights and fights and fights, but is not sincere from the heart and look how he dies. And this man didn't do much at all, he didn't spend any time as a Muslim at all, but he was sincere from his heart and look what his end is. Directly to paradise, and his paradise is being mentioned, being affirmed, being confirmed by the tongue of the Prophet ﷺ, which we know is the truth. After, in the aftermath of the battle of Khaybar, of course, there was the distribution of the spoils of war. So there's some narrations about that as well. Imam al-Bayhaqi mentions that there was a man from the Bedouin, uh, from the Bedouin tribes, who had joined the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. He had accepted Islam and he followed the Prophet ﷺ and he said, I would like to migrate and, and I would like to travel with you, I would like to go with you. So the Prophet ﷺ, he advised some of his companions to look after him. Since he was a new member of the community, the Prophet ﷺ said, look after him. When the battle of Khaybar occurred, um, the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, of course, they received a lot of the spoils of war. And the Prophet ﷺ distributed them amongst the Muslims, the companions. So he gave all the companions their portions. And that particular individual, they... Um, so this man, this, this, this Bedouin man who had joined them, he actually did not fight in the battle. But some of the animals that the Muslims had come with, their transportation and their rides, they had left them a little bit farther back from where the battle happened. And somebody had to be posted with the animals to look after them and protect the animals. Make sure nobody steals them or they don't run away. He, this new Muslim, this Bedouin man, was posted with the animals. So when they got back, they came to him and they gave him his portion of the spoils of war. So when they gave it to him, he says, Mahada, what is this? Why are you giving me this? I don't, it's not mine. They said, Qasmun qasamahu laka Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet cut you a portion as well. He says, "Ma ala hada ittaba'atuka." He goes to the Prophet ﷺ with whatever the Prophet ﷺ gave him, and he presents it to the Prophet ﷺ, and he says, "I did not follow you for this. I don't believe in you for this. I didn't come with you so I can get this. I don't want this." Walakin ittaba'atuka ala an urmiyahuna wa ashara ila halqihi bisahmin faamud faadhul aljanna. He says, "I came to fight, and I was willing to give my life for Islam." That's why I came. I didn't come so that I could have, do, you know, um, I could have babysitting, right? I could sit here and watch the animals, graze the animals, shepherd duty, and then after that, then I get like a spoils of war. Like I just feel, it feels worthless. So the Prophet ﷺ said, "In If you are truthful with God, then God will be truthful and fair with you. But as we're going to talk about the battle of Khaybar, it was, not, it was one major battle, but then after that there were other small fortresses, one after another they fell. 
So when they moved on to the next battle, he went and he fought. فَأُتِيَ بِهِ رَسُولَ And somebody brought his body to the Prophet ﷺ after the subsequent battle. And when he was talking to the Prophet ﷺ, he had pointed at his chest. He had pointed at his chest and he said that, I came to fight and give my life for Allah and for Islam. And I am sincere. And when they brought his body to the Prophet ﷺ, that he had fallen in the battlefield, the arrow was sticking out from exactly where he had pointed. Exactly where he had pointed. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ هُوَ هُوَ The Prophet no, is actually, he was asking a question, هُوَ هُوَ? Like, is this the same guy? Like the Prophet is saying, SubhanAllah, that's him? The arrow's right there? قَالُوا نَعَمْ They said yes. The Prophet says, صَدَقَ اللَّهَ فَصَدَّقَهُ he spoke the truth to God. He was sincere with Allah. So Allah was sincere with him. And his clothes had become ripped off in the battlefield. So I, I've talked about this before in the Battle of Uhud, that the rule of the shaheed is that you don't necessarily have to shroud the body of the shaheed. You don't have to remove the clothing. But if the clothing kind of gets ripped up or ripped off, then you should take a sheet and just overall cover the body. Should not leave the body exposed. So they needed a sheet to cover up his body. So the Prophet ﷺ was wearing like a cloak, like in like a, kind of like a shawl or a cloak, an overgarment. The Prophet ﷺ took off his own cloak and he wrapped the body in it in his own cloak. The man was buried with the shawl of the Prophet ﷺ, the Mubarak shawl that used to touch the body of the Prophet ﷺ. فَكَفَّنَهُ فِي جُبَّةِ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم وَكَفَّنَهُ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم فِي جُبَّةِ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم ثُمَّ قَدَّمَهُ فَصَلَّى عَلَيْهِ Then the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him and then said, okay, now go and bury him. فَكَانَ مِمَّا ظَهَرَ مِنْ صَلَاتِهِ اللَّهُمَّ هَذَا عَبْدُكَ And then the Prophet ﷺ, they heard him making this dua. اللَّهُمَّ هَذَا عَبْدُكَ Oh Allah, this is your slave. خَرَجَ مُهَاجِرًا فِي سَبِيلِكَ He went out striving in your path and your cause. قُتِلَ شَهِيدًا وَأَنَا عَلَيْهِ شَهِيدٌ He died as a martyr in the battlefield and I am a witness to the fact that he was sincere. He died as a martyr and I am a witness to the fact that he was sincere. And the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him. Another very um, touching kind of a, a very you know, um, cute story in the aftermath of the Battle of Khaybar um, that transpired, uh, there was the fact that as the spoils of war were being distributed, as I talked about before, one of the Sahaba, um, his name is um, Abu, uh, well, I'll talk about this later. Another Sahabi whose name is Abdullah ibn Mughaffal. Abdullah ibn Mughaffal. This is a narration that's found in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, in the Seerah of Ibn Ishaq, and many, many other books. So Abdullah ibn Mughaffal, he says, Dulliya jirabun min shahmin yawma khaybar. That when the spoils of war were being distributed, I came across a sack. So for us, think of like almost like a gallon that was filled with Shaham refers to quite literally like the fat of an animal, but what it basically refers to is almost like, um, like a type of uh, grease, or, or a fat, or even like, it was almost like a type of porridge. So they used to put grease and fat and even some dates and things like that, and they would kind of cook it. And it was considered like a delicacy. It would be eaten with bread and things like that. Alright, so he says, I came across like a gallon of this stuff. 
And it was very, very good. It was very, it was good for your health. It was strong. It was, it was considered very expensive as well. So I came across this. I found this. فَالْتَزَمْتُهُ So I grabbed it. I kind of clutched it. I was hungry. I hadn't eaten for days. So I see this gallon of this thing and I clutch it and I grab it. And one of the sahaba who the Prophet ﷺ put in charge of collecting the spoils of war and distributing them amongst the people, he saw and he reached out and he touched me and said, bring it here, we need to put it in the distribution and give it out to the people. And he says that I snatched it to myself and I pulled myself away and I said, no, wallahi. He said, لا أعطي أحدا منه شيئا. I'm not going to give it to anybody, it's mine. And he was like, no, you have to give it. I was like, no, it's mine. And then we started kind of getting into a little bit of a tussle. He said, you give it right now. And he said, no, no, it's mine, it's mine. And he says that while we were going back and forth, all of a sudden, I felt like someone else was there. And I turned around, the Prophet ﷺ was standing there watching this. And the Prophet ﷺ started to laugh at me. He's like, look how hungry this guy is. Right? He's fighting for this. And so that the Prophet ﷺ, he told the, the, the collector of the spoils of war, دَعُوهُ أُتْرُكُوهُ Leave him, let him have it. خَلِّي بَيْنَهُ بَيْنَهُ وَبَيْنَهَا Like let him have it, it's okay, it's okay. Go, 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 go. And he says that I went back to my people, a couple of my buddies and brothers and cousins. I went back to them, I was like, look what I got. And I sat down and I ate it. And he says, while I was even eating it, I looked over and the Prophet ﷺ was watching me eating it and he was still smiling at me. He was like, okay. Right? So this was the humanity of these people, simple people. Right? This, was, this is who they were. And another narration, very beautiful narration, blessed narration, Abu Yasar. Abu Yasar, whose name is Ka'ab bin Amr. Abu Yasar, his name is Ka'ab bin Amr. He says, Inna lama'a Rasulullah We were with the Prophet during the campaign of Khaybar. So he says, a man from the people of Khaybar, he had some goats and sheep with him and he came and he says that, um, so he came our way and he said that I have some of these animals, would anyone like any of them? So the Prophet said, Man rajul min The Prophet said that this man is offering some of his animals, goats and sheep for our food. So is there anyone who will basically prepare some of the animals for us? So Abu Yasar says, he was very young at this point. He says, I was like a teenager, I was a young man. So he says, I got really excited. So I went and I grabbed two animals, like two goats. I grabbed them, one in each arm, and I picked them up in, our, in my, each arm. And he said, I ran and I was running so fast, you couldn't even tell that I was carrying two animals at the same time. And I went to the Prophet and I put him down, and I said, here, I brought two animals, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet said, Allahumma amti'na bihi. And the Prophet made dua for me. He said, oh Allah, make him a source of benefit. Like allow us to benefit from him and allow him to benefit from us. So he says that after that, I, we put the animals down. A few other brothers came, a few sahaba came and they helped us. And we, you know, we sacrificed the animals, we, we cleaned it up, we cut up the meat, and we cooked the meat, and then we served it to everyone there, including the Prophet Abu Yasar is known to be one of the last living companions of the Prophet He was one of the last of the companions of the Prophet to pass away. And he lived till a very, very long age, and he was healthy until his very last moments. 
Even though he lived to be like a hundred years old, he was still physically very active. And Allah gave him a lot of wealth. He was very uh, well-to-do. He was physically very healthy, very active, long life. And whenever he used to tell this story, وَكَانَ إِذَا حَدَّثَ هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ بَكَى Every time he would tell this story, he used to cry. And he said, ثُمَّ قَالَ أُمْتِعُوا بِي لَعَمْرِي حَتَّى كُنْتُ مِنْ آخِرِهِمْ مَوْتَى He says that not only did they benefit from me on that day, but I benefited from that day to the point where I am the last one living amongst them till today. So that was also from the Battle of Khaybar. Um, the last kind of technical thing that is mentioned, and, and this command was given at the time of Khaybar, that by the time the Battle of Khaybar was done, many of the Sahaba had not eaten for days. And they were starving. So when they were starving, they looked around and there weren't a lot of, there was, there, there was no food left, there weren't a lot of animals like goats and sheep and stuff. But the people at Khaybar had a lot of donkeys that they used to use for transportation and work and carrying loads back and forth. So some of the Sahaba, they basically ended up sacrificing some of the donkeys and you know, preparing the meat of the donkeys and cooking it. When the Prophet this is a hadith of Bukhari, when the Prophet happened by there, he said, what are you cooking? We didn't have food, what are you cooking? And they said that there were some donkeys and so we're cooking them. The Prophet said, no, this animal is haram, it is not permissible for us. This animal is not permissible. He said, dump the pots, spill all the meat out and do not eat these animals. And the Prophet ﷺ had an announcement made. The Prophet ﷺ had an announcement made. So the Prophet ﷺ, the, the, the person making the announcement said, God and His Messenger forbid you from eating donkeys. Donkey meat. Because it is considered to be unclean. It is not okay for Muslims to eat. So dump the pots, spill the pots over. And not only that, but the narration basically, another narration in the Sahihain, in Bukhari and Muslim, it goes on to mention that Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he narrates, Naha Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, yawma khaybar an luhum al-humuri wa rakhasa fil khayb. That the Prophet on the day of khaybar, he forbade the eating of donkey meat, but he said you can eat horse meat when necessary. Right? The, uh, the, the meat of horses was allowed, but the meat of donkeys was not allowed. Alright, so that's a little technical detail from the actual Battle of Khaybar. The last uh, major um, detail, or the last major um, you know, uh, story involved with the Battle of Khaybar is of course the marriage of the Prophet ﷺ to Ummul Mu'mineen, the mother of the believers, Safiya bint Huyay bin Akhtab. Safiya bint Huyay bin Akhtab. Alright? Who was from the residence of Khaybar. And when Khaybar fell, then the Prophet ﷺ ended up marrying her. She was known as the princess of Khaybar, and she became a wife of the Prophet ﷺ and a mother of the believers. So in the next session, inshallah, we'll talk about their marriage, and then we'll also learn a little bit more detail about our mother Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all the ability to practice everything that was said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallahu bihamdik, nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasaghfiruka wa natubu ilayhi.